We uh, uh, join today with America this month, remembering the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. What most of the world ignores is he was a Christian pastor. He was a Baptist pastor. And of course, it was the civil rights movements of the, of the 60s that, uh, that he stood strong for. But perhaps broader than that, as you saw in the rest of the video, in Matthew 25, Jesus told us, uh, well, it's a picture in heaven. And the picture in heaven is God is literally dividing all of humanity into two groups, sheep and goats. One group goes to heaven, one group goes to hell. And those that went to heaven uh, asked Jesus, why are we here? And he said the most incredible thing. He said, and he's speaking to people that were saved in the actions of their lives. Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, you came to visit me. In prison, you came to visit me. Whatever you did to the least of these, Jesus said you did it to me. And our quest uh, as Christian people, as Bible believers, is for justice for all people. Uh, it's a little different than the equality in the world that we hear. Oftentimes, the equality in the world is more equated to communism than it is the rights of the individual. But yet, at the same time, we as the church hold the secret to solving racism in America. I look at all the, if you remember before the election, I mean, our nation got horribly divided again over racism. It stirred us up. The election was accomplished. It accomplished its goal. But I don't know that it did anything to cause people to love one another. You see, the government can't solve these kind of problems in the world. I mean, well, that's what Jesus solves. The government can't make me love someone. The government can put me on the school bus by someone of a different color, but they can't make me love one another. Come on now. I mean, no, that's the work of Christ, and that's the work of the cross. But we stand today in remembrance of Martin Luther King's rights for all people. Today, we as a church stand for the rights of the unborn. We stand for those in the latter part of life, in nursing homes, their right to live. We stand for the underprivileged. We stand with those that may be immigrants, those that, are, those that are troubled in some way, those that are involved in sex trafficking, broken people, hurting people, homeless people. How I many know these are people Jesus cared about, and they're people we're going to care about too. Praise the Lord. And uh, this scripture, I leave with you with this thought. In the book of Galatians, the Bible says that in Christ, this is key, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free which is a way of saying all gender, all genders, the two genders are elevated. Men and women are equal in the eyes of God. The social differences that we have, the, the financial disparities, they bow at the cross. The racial disparities, the cultural disparities, they bow at the cross because in Christ we can truly be one. Because how many know we are not from the whatever race, the black race, the race, the white race, the Asian race. How many know we are the human race? And we are people created in the image of God. And this is who we stand for in, in, in remembrance of Dr. Martin Luther King today. Praise the Lord. Hey, great to have you that are here. Great to have the people watching online. Everybody wave at the camera and say, we're glad you're watching today. I bet some of them covered up there. They might not have still been in their pajamas. But I want to encourage you, if you're watching at home, many are sick, so much sickness in our city right now. Many are watching. We pray the healing virtue of Christ is released in your body. We pray that you would rise from your feet in Jesus' name and be healed. But I want to encourage you, if you're watching, and I do it often when I'm not at church, it's easy to get distracted. Well, how many know in church you wouldn't think about going to get another bowl of cereal? How many know you wouldn't get up in church to go feed the dog because you forgot? So if you're at home, you're in church, and let's focus together on what 
what we're doing today. Praise the Lord. Hey, let me give you something before we kick off. It's called the Big Ten. It's a flyer, and uh, I want everyone to get one of these. If you don't have one, I want you to lift your hand, and the ushers will give it to you. I believe it was in the bulletin, and uh, I'm going to be referring to that in the message. So lift your hand. We'll give you one if you, if you don't have one. And while they're doing that, let me remind you about our Proverbs challenge. They'll put uh, the picture on the board, but you'll find on what this Big Ten is about. It's about the path to spiritual maturity, how to become a strong Christian. And uh, I, I have been a pastor 40 years. I have seen some things that work. And for those that apply these things, that get involved, they become a part of their life, the experiences, the disciplines, it changes them. And one of these things here, number four, has to do with daily Bible reading. And this is our church app. You can find it, uh, Church on the Rock, Texarkana. Bottom right-hand side, it says Bible Guide, and that's what pops up. And whatever the day is, there's 31 Proverbs in the Bible, and for example, today is the 16th. I read this morning Proverbs 16. I didn't read it for a sermon. I just read it to be close to God, and uh, I read my Bible every day, and I want to particularly appeal to you that aren't in the habit of daily Bible reading. Join us in the book of Proverbs, one of the richest books in the Bible, and uh, I, I promise you it'll make a difference in your life. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 11. Again, our series is called The Big Ten, The Path to Spiritual Maturity. Now, last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 5, if we could pick up from there. Last week we talked about the idea of spiritual maturity, why, what it is and why it's important. But Hebrews 5.12 kind of shares the problem with us. He said, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. What he's saying is, it's not your longevity of how long you've been a Christian, but it's how much you've matured as a Christian, because the mature Christian should be helping other people. Notice now, instead you need someone to teach you again the, yeah, when I do this, I want you to tell me what's on the screen. The basic things about God's word, you're like babies. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's the people in the Saturday night service. You're like babies. You're like babies who need milk and can't eat solid food. Solid food is for those who are what? Mature. And what I suggest to you is that spiritual growth and maturity are the goal of the Christian life. Our goal is not just to get to heaven. How many know if you've believed in Jesus, heaven is our promise, but it's to live the Christian life on earth and to grow to maturity. Now, the text for today is Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 is the heart of what I want to say today. Uh, some of the believers, it starts in verse 20, went to Antioch. Now, if you know the book of Acts, the book of Acts has basically two parts. The first half of the book of Acts through about chapter 12 deal with uh, in, in Jerusalem. It's focused on the Jewish people. Peter is the primary voice. The latter part of the book of Acts shifts. Antioch becomes the hub of the Gentile church. Uh, Paul is the chief spokesman, and uh, Gentiles are the main audience. But listen to what happened in Antioch. They began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. Now listen to verse 21. This is where the message is undergirded. A large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. They believed and they turned. This idea of turning, it means repenting. Repenting. They began to follow the Lord. 
And it encapsulates the essence of what true Christianity is about. It actually goes on to say, in Antioch, the believers were first called Christians. And Christians are followers of Christ. So what you have here is people who believe, and in their believing, they're turning to the Lord. Now what we would say today is they were saved, or salvation happened to them. Well, let me tell you where I'm going today. I'm very concerned that people don't understand what salvation really is about. I'm concerned that churches across America are filled with people that think they're saved, but aren't. I'm concerned that many of us who say that we're saved don't understand what it means to be saved. And I want to dig into this today. It's going to have some controversy. But before I can teach you how to grow and how to become mature as a Christian, how many know we've got to go to the right starting place? The foundation is to understand what it means to be born again, what it means to be saved, uh, how it happens, what God's expectations are for me. So this is what we're going to talk about, whether you're a brand new Christian, whether you're someone that's a little skeptical of the Christian message, whether you've been a Christian 40 years, I think this will speak to you today. Uh, But I'm going to answer four questions. I've entitled it, What Does It Mean to Be Saved? And uh, these four questions, (laughs) that's my first question. What does it mean when the Bible says salvation? Uh, the next one is pretty, pretty, pretty clear. How do I get saved? Now, you may have an idea, but I think I'm going to broaden it today. And the third one is where the controversy will come in. How do I know if I'm saved? How do I know that if I died today, I'd go to heaven? And then lastly, it will we'll focus on steps of maturity. How to save people live. So that's the message today, and there's a little central truth that I want to communicate. It's, it's, it's in the corner of the screen, every, every service. And what that is, that's the, I call it the truth for today. And that's the one thing that I want to communicate in, the, in a paramount way uh, through the message today. And today's is that a true follower, a true follower is someone, or believer is someone who follows Jesus because they love him. So with that, let's go to the first question. What does it mean to be saved? And I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, saved from what? Because we'll talk about that too. How many talk to Siri on your telephone? She's a pretty smart gal, isn't she? And, and she's evasive sometimes. I asked her this morning, I said, Siri, do you want to be the president of the United States? And she said, I, can't, I don't really have an answer for that. So I thought, well, okay, she's honest. But I asked her yesterday, I said, Siri, what does it mean to be saved? And Siri told me, she said, it is to save more of your income than you spend. And the difference is your savings. And I thought, here, the smartest woman on the planet doesn't even know the answer to the most basic question of life, what is salvation? It'll be something on the screen, and it's somewhat of an elongated definition, but I think it fills in the blanks. When you say, I'm saved, I've experienced salvation, what does it mean? It means to be forgiven of your sins. Now, the word forgiveness, uh, how many know when, when uh, in computers today, if you send something to the trash, how many know you can still get it out of the trash? But do you remember the old chalkboards in school 
where, or, or dry erase boards where the teacher would write something on the chalkboard and when she erased it, I mean, no, it was gone forever. Well, that's what forgiveness means. Now, when it talks about sins, I mean, you don't hear sin talked about on CNN or Fox. You don't hear Hollywood movies today talk about sin. Because in our world in America today, we've thrown the Bible away. What we've said is everyone gets to determine what's right and wrong, and there's no absolutes. But God says there are moral absolutes. There is right and there is wrong. And when you transgress God's standard of righteousness, you've sinned. Well, that's the problem. But what salvation is, is God forgives us that the guilt of our sin that we've done wrong is removed. And now the good part, we escape the judgment in hell. You may not even believe there is a hell, but can I tell you, Jesus talked more about heaven and hell than he did about many of the practical things of life. It is the theme of the Bible that there is an eternal place for those that reject Christ, and it's a real place called hell. And the wonderful news, a saved person will not go where they're when they die. To be saved means to be justified. Justified is a theological concept, and it implies declared righteous before God. So when God looks at me, he's not, he, he kind of looks two ways. How I many know when you know, do wrong, God knows it. Yeah. God knows it when we do wrong. But yet when God looks at the Christian, it's like God's put on these glasses. And these glasses somehow remove sin because he's declared us to be righteous. It's called an imputed righteousness of Christ. Simply because I asked him to forgive me, I confessed my sins, and he washed it away. And I I'm declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. The difference of the Christian religion from all other religions on the earth are the power of the cross and what Christ did. And the last part of salvation is to receive the gift of eternal life. Now, if I could give you today what is the foundation, the foundational scripture of salvation, it's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I bet you know it. You're saved by, by grace through faith. It's a gift from God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Here's the New Living Translation, which I really like. It said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. What is grace? Grace is the kindness, the undeserved kindness of God. How many know you can't work your way into heaven? Grace is simply God giving his kindness to those that don't deserve it. And the kindness comes when we believe and follow Jesus Christ. And notice what he says. You can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. In other words, going to church won't get you to heaven. Helping poor people won't get you to heaven. Giving money won't get you to heaven. You know, living by the golden rule won't get you to heaven. There's only one thing, which is the forgiveness of God and believing in Christ. Uh, none of us can boast about our good works. Do you know this scripture is how the Protestant Reformation was started? Broadly, there are two basic parts of Christian, uh, Christian faith, Protestantism and Catholicism. And Martin Luther was a Catholic priest. And a number of years ago, what had happened, and, and this was in the Middle Ages, what had happened is Christianity in the Catholic Church had degraded into a works-based religion. And Martin Luther read this scripture and he realized, because, you see, the people didn't read the Bible in those days. The, uh, the Bible was in Latin. People, uh, they went to mass in Latin. And the populace was basically ignorant of, uh, uh, of the scripture. And, and what had happened, Martin Luther realized, good works don't save you. 
And he read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and he took several pieces of paper and he tacked it on the wall of the church. And it caught fire in the world and it gave birth to what's called the Protestant Reformation. And uh, what it does is it recognizes our need for salvation, but salvation comes through believing in Jesus Christ. And it's no, we can't do enough good works to get to heaven. So that's kind of the foundation. Becoming a Christian is more, though, than an intellectual embrace of biblical truth. You're not converted because you're born in a Christian family. You're not converted because grandpa was a preacher. You're not converted because you go to church or help people or do good things. It is a work of the Holy Spirit that causes us to be what the Bible calls born again. How many have ever heard of the phrase born again? Wave, wave your hand at me. It's a powerful, uh, let me, well, let's talk about it in, in, in a moment. First of all, let me ask you the second question, how do I get saved? If salvation is a spiritual conversion where God, where my will responds to God, but God changes me, how do I, how do I get this change on the inside? Well, here's how it happens. Uh, I, I want you to look at salvation as a process. And I'm going to say a couple things, but they'll be on the screen. And I want you to think about them. And here's how it starts. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and our need for God. Now, let me tell you my story just a little bit. Uh, I was raised in the country in a little northern, uh, northern Mississippi. Uh, went to a Methodist church, believed the Bible. Uh, and my Methodist church taught me about Jesus. It didn't talk to me about Confucius or Buddha or Muhammad or anybody else. And that was a very good thing. The only problem is, is it didn't take in my life. And as I grew older, you know, I began to experiment with life. I became very worldly. Uh, you know, I was, I was out partying. I was the one uh, that had beer in the trunk. Uh, Dad had given me a new car for my graduation. I was going to college. Uh, I was on an athletic scholarship. I was dating the head majorette and head cheerleader. And I had this big afro back then. I was, I, I mean, I was really cool. And uh, I'd even stick... Well, I guess I'll go ahead and say it. I'd even hide little marijuana cigarettes behind my ear here with that hair. I just wanted you to know I'm not a holy Joe. I just wanted you to know that I was a person searching for happiness, just like everyone in this room. And what I want to tell you, I didn't find it in a bottle. I didn't find it in a joint. I didn't find it in a woman. I wasn't looking for it in a man, okay? But I didn't find it in a woman. I didn't find it in trophies. And I didn't find it in accolades. I found happiness and peace in life through Jesus Christ. But let me tell you how it happened. I'm 19 years old. I'm too old to play organized baseball, which was probably an idol in my life. It was the substitute. So now I'm driving the tractor for my dad, and, and my job is to plow soybeans, uh, I don't know, one, two miles an hour, going slow, four rows, and I would just literally do that all day long. Dad pulled me out of bed at seven or whenever, and I'm on the tractor before eight, and I could, be, I, I could be on the tractor till dark, depending how far behind we were. But the strangest thing would happen. I would begin to weep for no reason in the middle of the day. 19-year-old kid with everything going for him would, Why? didn't make any sense to me. Back then, I didn't know what was going on. I just thought drink another beer or smoke. I didn't realize God was reaching out to me. 
I didn't realize the Holy Spirit was making me aware of that my life with God, without God was missing something. A few days after that, I met a Gideon. He gave me a Bible. And five days after that, I read that Bible. And it told me how to commit my life to Christ. I signed on the dotted line there saying, I believe and I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. So this is how salvation starts. Don't ever think that, well, I'll get old one day. And when I'm old, I'll do the God thing. It's, it takes God bringing us. We can either say, I don't want it, or we want it. But here's what happened next. We believe in God's solution to our sin. I bet you know the scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that's what we do. We believe in God's solution, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only Savior of the world. On a cross like that, Jesus died as a substitute for the sins of the world. And he offers forgiveness through his death. This is why Christianity is different than any other religion. And here's the th number three about how I get saved. Genuine belief. And this is going to be something that you perhaps have not thought of and some may think controversial. Genuine belief is a pregnant word. And it involves action. For example, if the fire alarm goes off and you see smoke, what are you going to do? Oh, no, he's still got 20 minutes. I'm going to sit here. What does belief cause you to do? Act. If you're coming to church this morning, and thank God it wasn't, but what if there was ice and the roads were dangerous and you started to cross a bridge at big, big overpass and there was a sign that said, bridge is iced over, exit here. If you believed it, what would you do? You'd exit. So belief implies action. And the action of belief is the word repentance. Remember the Antioch Christians, they believed, and what do they do? They turn to God. And this is what's missing in many people. I believe many people live under the delusion that belief in Jesus is a mental assessment of facts, but it includes no turning to God. I'm going to get deeper in this. Uh, but this belief causes us to start following Jesus. Now, when salvation happens and how it happens is different for different people. For example, I told you my story. I'm in a Navy boot camp. I put a pillow over my head, tears in my eyes, and I said, Jesus, I, I want to ask you to forgive me and come in my life and save me. Pastor Mike, one of our pastors, he was a professional football player. He was in a chapel service. And uh, his testimony is the guy said, did anyone want to start following Jesus and believe in him? Mike raised his hand. Uh, my wife, Linnell, her, her parents are with us today, uh, raised in a godly home. Linnell can't look back at any one day and say, that's the day I became a Christian. She just, it just was a part of her life from childhood. Uh, the thief on the cross, you remember? Jesus crucified in the middle. One thief over there says, Lord, would you remember me? And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He was saved. He wasn't baptized. He didn't, he didn't go to church. But a belief in Christ, that's how he got saved. Uh, many people answer an altar call, is what we call it, in church. 
It's the, it's the way we make public confession of Christ. I'll ask at the end of the service today, would anyone like to commit their life to Christ? Hopefully many will raise their hands and they'll come forwards at the cross. I promise you we don't want anything from you. We just want to give, give to you. People will clap their hands and that could be the day, January 16th, 2022, where I believed and made public confession in Christ. So uh, the important thing is not where we are or the exact words we say. It's that we have responded to the Holy Spirit's conviction with belief in Christ and turning to follow God. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now, let me get into what may be the controversial part. How do I know if I'm saved? First of all, I want to speak to Christians that may be struggling with doubt. Anyone ever struggled with doubting your salvation? Didn't know if you were saved? All over the room. I've got to raise both my hands. In my early Christian life, and I'll tell you why, it was because I still did things that were wrong, and I knew it was wrong, and I wondered how could a real Christian do this. I'm going to go into that and liberate you later, but let me tell you how you know you're saved if you're doubting. <sighs> Rely on biblical truth, not feelings. Let me say it again. You don't, I don't care if you feel saved or not. If you have responded to the truth of Scripture, that's what you hang on to. Romans 10, 9 says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be Amen. Now, how many believe that's the truth? How many believe that's a fact? Well, guess what? If you have done that, now notice we've added a little wrinkle here, declare with your mouth. Are we adding to salvation? No. It's just what saved people do. When you turn to God, you profess him publicly. That's what water baptism is about, a portion of water baptism. It's a public confession. If you raise your hand to become a follower of Christ, that's what you're doing. You're declaring the fruit of repentance. You're declaring that I'm turning to God. Here's another scripture that will help you if you doubt. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what, what happens when you sin? You feel guilty. And what does the devil do? Uh, how many, the difference between the, the devil and God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit convicts you when you do wrong and points you to the cross for forgiveness. When the devil condemns you for doing wrong and says you're not worthy to be a Christian. So what I did when I felt and I doubted whether I'm saved or not, I wouldn't look at how many sins I committed. I would look at, I have believed in Jesus Christ. He has imparted his righteousness to me that even covers my boo-boos. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, now this next one is the controversial one. This is for a person who thinks they're saved but are really not. This is someone that may go to church you may give money to a missionary. You may do some of the right things, but in your heart, you've never been born again. And let me say now, I'm not your judge, but I want you to think soberly and seriously about this. If you stand before God one day and you're not saved today, and you say, well, I thought I was saved and nobody ever told me. Remember January 16th, 1920, no, it's 2022. <laughs> Here's what I would ask you. Is there evidence to prove you're saved? If there was a court of law 
and a defense attorney was defending you, is there enough proof in the way you live your life, the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your children, the way you treat enemies, the way you treat people of, uh, that are different color skin, the way you lie or tell the truth, you, you, telling other people about Jesus, uh, bringing your money to, the, to, to, to serve the Lord. Is there evidence and proof that you are saved? Now, again, you can't do enough things to be saved, but how many know saved people live a righteous life? Saved people turn to the Lord. Saved people live a certain way, and when they mess up, they, 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 they get forgiveness and they keep living it. If I genuinely believe and I'm truly following Jesus, the way I live my life will show it. Amen. Hear me now. If there's no evidence, if there's no fruit, if there's no change, I may not have true biblical faith. Listen to what John the Baptist said. Luke chapter 3 verse 7. The crowds come to John for baptism. John the Baptist baptized in water, but what did he call it? He called it a baptism of, of repentance. The word repent is that word turn to God. Do you know that that was the first message Jesus preached when he started his public ministry at age 30? Repent. Do you know what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost? Repent. Do you know what's found in the writings of Paul in the New Testament? Repent. It was a part and parcel. Believing and repenting were one thought. It was, because I believe, I turn to God. Well, listen to what John the Baptist said. John said, and I want you to say this out loud with me, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove by the way that you live. In other words, save people are not perfect. But saved people, and particularly over time, began to change the way they live their lives. Uh, and, and then listen to what he said. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, we're descendants of Abraham. These were Jewish people. It'd be like us saying, well, I'm saved, I go to church. Well, I'm saved, I have a Bible. Well, I'm saved, Grandma prayed for me. None of that will get you to heaven. Uh, he said, what should we do? John the Baptist told them, if you've got food, share it with the hungry. And then the tax collector that would take money and steal from people, uh, he, he, they, uh, John said, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What's the point here? Genuine faith produces repentance. It changes the way we live our lives. And I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. I just want to ask you, is there evidence of true Christian faith? You say, well, why would you ask me that? That's a good question. 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 13, verse 5 says this, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I don't even know if we have any crystal in our house. We might, but supposedly crystal has a certain ring to it as opposed to glass. There's a genuineness to it. Well, examine yourself. Test yourself to see if you are living in the faith. The faith is not just what I believe. The faith is the way that I live my life. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, but you are trying and striving to live for the Lord. And every once in a while you get pulled back. 
who knows what, pornography or whatever. You get pulled back, but you know it's wrong, and you turn and you say, Lord, forgive me. Help me get back on the track. And then you fall again, but you're moving towards the cross. There are fruits of repentance. Exam test yourself to see if you're faith. Now listen to this. You know that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test. Which means if there's not genuine evidence of your conversion, not to be saved, but because you are saved, he said Christ may be not even be in your life. You may be fooling yourself. And that's what I want you to just pause on just a moment because I feel in American Christianity, we have so watered down the gospel message that we are so trying to appeal to people as preachers that we are withholding the truth of this turning to God. And the reason we don't want to tell people to turn to God because they like living for themselves. Uh, I'm preaching better than you're amening today. <laughs> tell your neighbor I'm glad he's talking about the Saturday night crowd. Praise the Lord. Uh, I believe many people have shaken the preacher's hand to be saved, but have never truly believed and turned. Let me tell you something that's plagued me for 15 or 20 years now. There was a death in our city. It was a teenage boy, 17, 18 years old. He was, you know, kind of one of the uh, leaders in school. Uh, he liked to fight. Uh, you know, he, he, he was a drinker. Uh, he was the one that was, you know, had the drugs. Uh, he slept around. He was an immoral person, like most many of us were, like I was. Well, guess what happened? His girlfriend dumped him. He got drunk, and he got mad, and he went to her house, and he committed suicide. Now, I'm sitting in the funeral. I don't know the person, but I see maybe 300 high school students that are there. And here's what the preacher said. One pre first preacher said, I remember when, I don't know what his name was, Tom. I remember when Tom answered the altar call as an eight-year-old boy. And I know he's in the arms of Jesus today. Next preacher came up. I remember baptizing Tom at 12. I know he's in the arms. Of, he's in heaven today. So think of the contradiction. All those high school students knew him as a wild hellion <laughs> that could not be an altar boy in the Catholic church. Are you with me today? I mean, he couldn't be a Sunday school teacher. He couldn't be a youth group leader because he was just living like the devil. And these preachers told these, all these kids, it doesn't matter how you live your life. All that matters is you shook the preacher's hand. Now, let me say this quickly. I am not the judge. I'm not the one that decides if somebody's in heaven. That's God's job. Because, but there's only one, there's only two possibilities. One, he was genuinely saved and he backslid. I believe if you're genuinely saved and backslide, you'll go to heaven when you die. But another possibility is he did the church thing. He got baptized in water, but he was not converted. I know someone, someone that I care about very deeply that was baptized a few years ago. And, and when I talked to them about it, they said, yeah, I just felt the pressure from people to do it. And I didn't really mean it. So who am I to judge? But here's what I will say. Have you ever heard of the doctrine once saved, always saved? You say, well, preacher, what do you believe about that? <laughs> I believe what Jesus said. No man can pluck you out of my hand. But I also think about the words in Hebrews and wonder if I can walk away from God. It's called an apostate. 
I wonder if that's possible. So here's my perspective. I'm not going to tell you how close you can get to the edge and still go to heaven in your sin. I'm going to try to get you to love the Lord with all your heart. Come on. With all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. That's, 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 that's my focus there. Uh, let me give you the last part now. I'm going to need a couple extra minutes today. Who give me a couple extra minutes here? One, two, three, four, five. That should be plenty right there. Thank you. How should saved people live? If I'm saved, if I'm a Christian, if I'm an Antioch person who's believed and turned, if I am born again, how should I live my life? Now, this is about maturity. And obviously, we would say live by the Bible. But let me tell you the only problem with that. There's 1,800 pages, <laughs> and I get overwhelmed by it all. L let me tell you what I think are three priorities that if you'll embrace them, you'll be on a pathway of spiritual growth. Now, here's the first one. Save people live by the two great commandments. Remember what they are? Jesus was asked, Mark chapter 12, of all the commandments, which is the most important. In other words, go to the Old Testament. All the things the prophet said, go to the Pentateuch, the law of Moses, everything that was written in, in Deuteronomy, Numbers, uh, Leviticus, Exodus, Genesis, of all these commandments, which is the most important? Now, what Jesus said should shape the way you look at Christianity. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And the second commandment is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. So here's how I try to live the Christian life. Love God and love people. Now, you can have a different, you can take the rules approach to Christianity. Have you ever heard the little trite saying, uh, don't cut, I don't cuss, I don't smoke, I don't chew, or hang around those that do? In case you missed it, that was my kind of joke of the day. I don't smoke, I don't cuss, I don't chew or hang around those that do. I know how, to long, how long to wear my dress, and I know what movies are not acceptable to Christians, and I know what words are acceptable and what, what, what's, what's not acceptable to say as a Christian. Uh, I know where all the boundaries are. Uh, I'll just get a little more real today. Our culture today uses the F word for everything. When I hear it on TV, it grieves me. But it's everywhere. But why would I want to say friggin' just to see how close I can get to the... Because if you live by rules, this is what you do. I don't want to live by rules. I don't want to live by commandments. Now listen, I want to love the Lord with all my heart and love my neighbor as myself. All the rules will take care of themselves. In other words, I'll do, I'll do the commandments. I'll do the scriptures, not because I have to or not because they show me how close to get to the edge and not go to hell. I do what I do because I love God. Boy, it's a different orientation to life. Now, now let me give you the, the next point here. How, am I got, how do mature people live? Love God and love people. Here's the next one. Serve the Lord and obey his commandments. Here's what Jesus said. Save people, believe in Jesus as Savior, and follow him as Lord. There, uh, Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, 
Well, Shazam. If you love me, obey my commandments. Uh, now, my wife and I, we don't have commandments for one another, but we have preferences. And you know what I've learned to live? My wife's just happier if I live with her preferences. Well, don't you think the Lord is just happier if we live with his preferences? So don't ever view the thou shalt nots is there to hurt you. Let me give you just a, a question here. How many know in our culture today, uh, sexuality has no boundaries whatsoever? If you want to have sex with a woman, go for it. If you want to have sex with a man, go for it. You want to have sex with an animal, we'll frown on it, but go for it. One of, the, one of the big newspapers in America today was even trying to bring down the stigma of being a pedophile. Well, let me tell you, if that's the life that you pursue, here's some things that's going to happen to you. Probably somebody's going to get pregnant along the way, and you'll have to make a decision about an abortion, or you'll have a child that you're not ready for. Probably somebody's going to get a sexually transmitted disease that could affect you for the rest of your life. It just is there. And then you bring all of that into your marriage. Now, that's the world that we live in today. Guess what would have happened if you obeyed the commandments of God and you got married and you were a virgin? I'll tell you what would have happened. You wouldn't have been pregnant. You wouldn't have had an abortion. You wouldn't have a comparison for your spouse when you do get married. And you wouldn't have a sexually transmitted disease. And then when you married this person, you would have an exclusiveness and a purity that would probably keep you away from a desire to stray because you found this innocent purity. That's a commandment. And you can either see it as a bummer or something that's there to help you. I'm preaching better than you're amening. Let me give you another one. Luke chapter 9, and here the words are, serve and obey the Lord. Luke 9, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must, oh, I don't like that. Give up your own way or deny yourself. Take up your cross daily, and your cross is your calling in life as a Christian, and follow me. You, you know what this is? If you want to be my follower, here's the turn. Turn to God. Here's the repentance. Well, I'm going to tell you, in our culture, this is the total opposite. It's the antithesis of a self-centered, self-pleasing, hedonistic society. But what Jesus is saying is, look, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to stop following yourself. There's a throne on your heart that the cardiologist can't find. But when you're born, you sit on that throne and you say, I like this and I want to do this and I'm going to do this and I got money for that and I'm planning to do that. And God's all the time saying, I got something better. If you'll just get off the throne of your heart and turn and follow me, you'll find the best life you ever imagined. And not only that, when this life is over, I'm going to reward you. And eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. So come on, follow me. Amen. Obey and follow. And let me give you a last one. Now, now, that's a tension of faith and works. We don't do good works to get saved. We do good works because we're saved. Let me, let me wrap this up here. Uh, here's a third thing that saved people would do. Saved people try, I'm going to come back to that, try to resist sin and worldliness. But when we fall, we get back up. In other words, we realize sin is real and righteousness is better. And we try to clean our life up 
Uh, Romans 7, verse 15. Now, this was written by Paul the Apostle. <laughs> Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Greatest Christian, arguably, that ever lived. He said, I really don't understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. I do what I hate. Anybody else say me too? Look around you to all the liars that are in here. <laughs> I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Anybody feel like that? Yeah. And then you feel guilt, then you feel shame, then you feel like you're not even a Christian. Verse 20, if I do what I don't want to do, it's the sin living in me that does it. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not responsible, but how many know the Bible teaches we have a spirit and a flesh? We have a new born-again nature, but we still have our old sinful nature that tries to pull us back. Look at verse 22. I love God's law with all my heart. Doesn't that sound like I love the Lord with all my heart? I love God, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to sin that's still within me. Look at verse 24. I'm miserable. Who's going to free me in this life dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what does this mean? When I first got saved, I'm telling you some things I stopped immediately. But some things I really liked, I held on to for a couple years. You didn't do that, did you? And I still have some things that I struggle with today. You're so holy. I'm just so honored to be in your presence today. But, but. Let me ask you a question. When we sin, here's the deal with a Christian. We, 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 we know what's right. We want to do what's right. But something taps us on the shoulder and we really like it and we do it. And then we say, God, would you forgive me? I would say that's evidence of your salvation. After you sin, you come back to God and ask for forgiveness. But have you ever asked forgiveness for something a hundred times? Come on, wave your hand at me. What was it? Could you, would you, would you say? <laughs> a thousand times? Let me say this. I'm just glad that you're still asking because that tells me you're saved. You're just struggling. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. All right, I'm done. Let me, let me, let me, let me wrap up here. <sighs> Save people. What do we do? We love God. We love people. We seek to obey the Lord and serve him. And we, we pursue righteousness. And we fight sin and when we mess up, we keep going. I want you to look at this little flyer here. Now, this was all foundation. Now, by the way, it's on the screen behind me, but if you've got an app on your phone, it's the second little uh, flag or whatever they got on it that says the Big Ten. Uh, today, we talked about salvation. Now, the next few weeks, we're going to start, start talking about the path to spiritual maturity. But here's why I want you to keep this. You can start practicing these things today. You don't have to wait for me to preach on it. And let me say this. I've been a pastor 40 years. I have watched people that finished strong, and I've watched people that fell away. The people that lived by these disciplines, that it wasn't just rules, but it was a heart that loved God behind it, they finished strong. This works, friends, if you'll put it in practice. I'm going to talk to you probably next week why being involved in a local church is so important. I'm going to talk to you about baptism. Baptism. 
Remember, these are disciplines and experiences. Water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism. Uh, the daily prayer and Bible reading. You can start today, the Proverbs, Proverbs 16. Uh, going to classes where you're learning. Number six, connecting with friends in some kind of small group. Coming to church in a big service is great, but you need a small group of friends, come on now, to live life with. I'm going to talk about that. Finding a place to serve God. That's where you use your gift, its significance. Sharing your faith. That's helping other people get to heaven. Uh, number nine, uh, how you handle your finances. How many know if Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart is also? And if I'm supposed to love the Lord with all my heart, but the scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. How many know I've got to get that part of my life under? And uh, we'll talk about that. And then lastly, going on a short-term missions trip. These are things that will help you if you'll just start doing them. But listen, I want to, uh, why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet and we're going to have a closing prayer. Do you remember last week when we talked about what the Apostle Paul said? Again, this is early 22. Stay with me now. I don't think Cracker Barrel yet. Turn back to the preacher. Remember last week when we talked about the words of Paul, this great, great man. He was saved miraculously. He, he had a supernatural healing of his eyes. He said he was even caught up to heaven where God is. And this man told us how he lived his life. First thing he said was, I want to know Christ. Here's a man that already knew him at salvation. But what he was saying is, I want to get closer to God today, tomorrow than I am today. And then he said, I'm going to forget what was behind me. I'm going to forget my past. I don't care if you need to forget last night. Come on. I'm going to forget my past. And I'm going to put my eyes on the prize for what God has called me. Now, you can put your eyes this way. And you can become fabulously wealthy. You can set the record for how many beers you can chug. You can get trophies out the wazoo. You can have one good-looking woman or man after another. You can get the biggest house in Texarkana. You can make the most money of all your peers. But in eternity, none of that will mean anything. But it's what you did with Christ will last forever. And my prayer for you, we're going to pray in just a minute because I want you to make a commitment. That doesn't do me any good. I want you to make a commitment to maturity that I'm going to go forwards in my spiritual life. And the last prayer I'm going to have is a prayer for you that may be here today. And after we talked about salvation, you may be honest enough to say, I don't know if I'm really saved, preacher. But what I do know is I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm ready to commit my life. I'm ready to make that turn and start following Jesus. I'm going to give you a chance for prayer at the end here. And what I'll do is I'll ask you. You have to have a little guts here. I'll ask you to raise your hand if you want to commit your life to Christ. You say, well, why would you do that? Remember what we read in Romans? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the public display that I belong to Christ. And I promise you, people will clap for you as you make the greatest decision of your life. But right now, I want everybody to just bow your heads. And I want you to just talk to the Lord just a moment about the future and about pursuing maturity.
the commitments that you're going to make to serve the Lord. Some of you need to receive his forgiveness for the past and go on. Forget the past. But all of us need the Holy Spirit to help us. If you're at home watching online, why don't you stand to your feet too and pray with us? But I want you to just slip your hands to heaven right now and say, Holy Spirit, help me. You are the one that birthed me into salvation. You're the one that led me to conversion. I want you to help lead me to sanctification. Lead me to the change and the maturity that you want me to make. And I know I want to make. I ask you to help me today in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen. I'll close with this. Our prayer team is coming to the front right now. If you'll make your way, men and women, to the front. I want to speak to you that are here today that would say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm saved or not. Maybe you've gotten away from God, but bottom line is, you know it's time to make a commitment to Christ. It took me a while to get to that point. It took me a matter of weeks that I started out on a tractor seat crying and not knowing what it was until somebody put a Bible in my hand and I devoured that Bible and I finally realized Jesus Christ loves me and he wants a relationship with me. But that relationship, I need a, a little more light in the sanctuary, but that relationship depends on me asking for his forgiveness but turning to follow him. And I made that decision on August 15th, 1976. And I've never turned back. And can I tell you, I'm living the best life I can imagine because of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to get on track for following Christ. I want you to pray for me. Would you just lift your hand all over the building right now? Say, pray for me. I want to put my truck. God bless you, sir. Others, God bless you, ma'am. In the back, God bless you and God bless you. Others, God bless you. Others say, I want to put my trust in Christ. God bless you, dear, in the back. Anybody else? I've just gotten away from God. And you say, well, how do I know it's me? you got a turmoil going on in your heart right now. <laughs> One part of you says, get out of here. And another part says, get up there. You know what I think's happening? I think there's a war between Satan and the demons that want to keep you and the Lord that wants you to be free. So let me ask one last time. Anybody else that's here today that'll say, I want to commit my life to Christ. I'm tired of the way I'm living. I'm ready to make the turn for the Lord. All right, let's give all these people that lifted their hands a, 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 a big hand today. Come on, let's give them a big hand for their confession of Christ. And here's what we want to do. You that lifted your hands, let me just invite you to come now to the cross. Come on, give them one more big hand. You that lifted your hands, let me invite you to come on up to the cross. We want to pray for you. Pastor Mike will be here to pray for you. Come on up. Now give them one more big hand as they're coming. Young people, older people, making steps to Christ. Because if I can't do it in a church where people will clap their hands, how would I ever do it out in the world? This is the declaration you, you make today, and I want to say that we're proud of you. Listen, you that are coming, others, you can come too. I want to encourage you to do this. Pastor Mike, hang on a second. He's going to pray for you in just a second, but let me say this. He's going to ask for your phone number. Uh, you can always opt out of this, but I've got about 10 videos that teach you how to grow as a Christian. And if you give us your phone number, we'll start sending you one every couple days. But we are super, super proud of you. Give them one more big hand today.